Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. There we go. I've hit the button. The journey has begun. Man, the adventure is about to unleash. Imagine this. Imagine. Use your imagination caps. Let's put those on. Imagine you're with a company and with the powers of marketing, you've helped the company grow their ARR from 2.5 million to 15 million. You're just making it rain in three years. And 75% of that was sourced by marketing, which means you actually know you can attribute to marketing. Imagine that. How would you do that? What would you do? How would you approach that? Well, guess what? You don't have to guess because the guy that did that is here today. He's my guest today. He's a visionary. He's a leader in the marketing space. He's a brand builder. He's created communities with thousands of members, events with tens of thousands of members, and even launched his own podcast, 64 plus episodes, 30,000 plus listens. And that was probably a many, many moons ago. So who knows how many people listen now? It's called Demand Gen U. VP of Marketing at User Evidence, Mark Huber. Welcome to the show, sir. That is quite the introduction. Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm excited. <laughs> Are you speechless at your own introduction? Uh, I kind of forgot about him, which is a good thing. I have a short memory in a good way, but I got to do it bigger and better at User Evidence now. So I either reminded you of good times or I triggered you thinking about all the work you had to do to, to accomplish all those goals. The uh, We can talk about that later. The PTSD was mostly around the virtual event side of the house because there is no way about it, whether it's an in-person event or a virtual event. The days and weeks leading up to it is pure hell. <laughs> Noted. Okay, cool. We will definitely want to come back to that because we like we like hearing about pure hell on the Hardcore Marketing Show. So, okay, so I got to ask you this first question. It's my duty. Now I have to hand you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you work out. So one second. Ugh. Uh, okay, here we go. Thor's hammer. You want to grab that? I'm grabbing it right now. The I will smash right, you got this. Okay. Great, great. <laughs> Take Thor's hammer for me, Mark. Smash some kind of bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Yeah. When we talked about this before, the first thing that came to mind almost instantaneously was this. You do not have to work with a PR agency in 2023 and beyond to create your own news story, to build buzz, to really do anything. It is an old way of doing marketing, and I will stay on this soapbox as long as you will let me. You do not need a PR agency. Right and now, it, thousands it, of PR agencies are screaming as they're being <laughs> obliterated by this yeah, mismatch it's, of yours. I mean, it's something that like, and I'm just gonna jump on and smash it. It's something smash that was it. a way of the times, you know, let's say at least 10 plus years ago at this point, if not longer, and it was an old way of doing marketing because the buyers didn't really have much information, the vendors did, they controlled everything. Nowadays, all the information that you want about a particular vendor is out there. It's in communities, it's in you know, podcasts, it's in you know, your feeds on LinkedIn. There's a whole lot more information that you have access to and everyone knows how press releases are written anyways. You make your company sound like this world-shattering company with some new product that probably is good and maybe not that much better than what you're comparing it to. You shoot for the moon, you send it to a couple reference customers and get them to drop in a quote. 
you revise it, you publish it, and then no one actually reads it or cares about it. It's just a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Like, no one needs it. And take it a step further and pay somebody else some money to just blast that press release everywhere. Oh, well, so that's that what you usually do because it's, it. and it's not cheap. Yeah, it's not cheap at all. No. Yeah, it's my, you can clearly tell my voice is changing, which means you've really pushed a button and we're uh, only three minutes and 49 seconds into this. <laughs> I know, man. Well, we're about to unravel the mystery here. So, so talk to me about the origin of this. Like, why, why do people believe this? And did you even believe this before you went through something or what? What's going on? Yeah, I think for me, and I've worked in B2B marketing for probably coming up on 12 years now. And I think when I first started, it was one of those things that you do because it's the way that things have always been done in B2B marketing. And you see other companies yeah. doing it that maybe you look up and aspire to. So you think, well, I have to do this. And then you do it and you spend a lot of money on it and you spend even more time and you realize it doesn't really do anything. So I think for me, I started to do this because I had seen others do it before and I thought that you needed to do it to blast a story out or create a story and create noise in B2B marketing. And now that I've done it, I don't know, probably 10 plus times, I, I'm finally in a position where I, I can say, hey, we're not going to do any PR anymore. But before I had to listen to people who would always say, yeah, we got to do a press release. We got to do a press release. It's just lazy at the end of the day. Like, I, I get why you want to create buzz, but there are so many better ways to do it. Yeah, no, totally. I can't wait to get to those. But just real quick, the idea of it not really doing anything, it's almost like that dirty secret where people have been doing it. They just we do it because it always has been done. Mm -hmm. Yet when you start tracking it, you're not really seeing it actually do anything. But, well, you know, why change it? Why interrupt the status quo? This is mm -hmm. what the company does, especially if it's one of those old school companies that is like locked in their ways, you know, they mm -hmm. just got a website in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> They're like behind the times. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can see people just sort of whispering and not, or not really acknowledging the fact that it didn't actually move anything, but maybe that busyness made you feel good. Like you, you got, you did something. So hopefully it, you're, you're worth keeping, but that's yeah. how we get fired in marketing. So like, uh, yeah, talk exactly. about the boys and the buzz. Yeah. I think for me, the, and to kind of go back to like the first time that I, you know, was a part of a press release and getting it out the door, every time that I've done it since, I'm just thinking to myself like, oh, like we have to do this. And my attitude is already negative going into it. It's like, why do we have to do this? Like, I don't even want to work on this. And when you're, I'm a big whole asser when it comes to marketing, when you're half-assing press releases or half-assing anything, it's not a good output at the end of the day. You can't measure it. Um, it's very fluffy metrics that you get when your PR agency says, oh, this is all the impact that it had. And then you think about like the buyer at the end of the day, Casey, when's the last time that you saw a press release and like, you know what, that sounds great. I'm going to go buy that. I hadn't heard of that company and everything <laughs> in that press release is, you know, just put me over the moon and I'm ready to buy. No, it never happened. Hashtag never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never done that. <laughs> no, and it's not just you. I, I would be willing to say that like 99% of the B2B marketing has never done that. So why do we still feel the need to emphasize press releases? Like it's just, it's not important. It's crazy, man. So so if that's not the case and so many people get distracted by that, where should their attention be focused? Yeah, so I think it's your employees. I like to think of my you know, the rest of the people that I work with here at User Evidence and the, it thought about this the same way at Metadata, they're all an extension of your marketing team. And I think for me, you can put out a press release and hope your employees get excited about it. 
or you can just turn your employees into an extension of your marketing team and get them excited about what the company is doing and how they play into it. And then they live it in the interactions that they have with customers, with buyers, they're your megaphone on LinkedIn, they're your megaphone at events. Like the more that you can get the rest of the company bought in on what you are doing as a marketing team, and more importantly, how that helps them in their role and on their team, that's the, that's the cheat code to it all. And it's not easy, it takes work, but that works so much better than relying on some, you know, press media wire outlet that gets blasted at six in the morning yeah. and half your people are still asleep. <laughs> Fingers crossed that yeah. uh, maybe this time it'll work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I like that you said that it's not easy because that was my first thought. It's like, okay, get your team excited. And I thought, how would most companies do that? They're either going to force, they're going to try like bludgeon them into doing it, right? Or they're going to try some cheesy tactic that, you know, it's like, let's let's get in a circle, guys, and let's hold hands. Or, I don't know, right? Yeah. I feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. companies miss how to actually activate your team and get them stoked and yep. get them sharing. Yeah, so I'll share more how I did this at Metadata and then how I'm doing it a little bit yeah. differently at User Evidence. So B2B marketers always say that they're busy and you know they've got so much on their plate and that's usually true but one of the things that they almost always deprioritize is internal marketing so let's anchor this around the, the concept of internal marketing now at metadata a lot of the executive team hadn't really seen this work before so what's the best way to get them on board with something show them what good looks like so you think of how gong used to do things how drift used to do things how companies like clary are doing things now and you know a few others you show them what good looks like. It's very easy to get buy-in from your leadership team on what good looks like once they can kind of see it out in the wild. And then once you get the sign off on, hey, go make this happen, then you've got the support of your leadership team to then tell the rest of their teams and functions that this will be a part of your job. So this is something that everyone needs to do at the company. So that's step one. Step two is you can't just explain what marketing is doing or, or you know why this is cool. You have to reframe it in a way that shows what's in it for them, what's in it for customer success, what's in it for sales, what's in it for product, what's in it for all of these functions. And it's a really slight nuance, but when you start to reframe things and clearly explain what's in it for those people and those functions and how it will help them accomplish the goals that they are working towards and, and shows yeah. them how they will play a part of it, then you get people even more excited. And then the third part is just marketing internally every week doing bigger updates every month, making yourself available, doing AMAs, you name it. That's the stuff that personally I think is a little bit easier because it's all in your control. Steps one and steps two take more work. And once you work through each of those three steps, then you can start to do this well in the wild. Makes total sense, man. In, in my mind, it's like, do what we do, but for our internal team. You know, yeah. you're thinking about their needs. You're 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 marketing to them. You're you're messaging to them and the words that they want to hear. It's all the stuff we would do externally facing, but you're you're facing that inward to get your team excited. So it's not like it's rocket science. It's just understanding who your customer is, who you're marketing to, in order to get that effect. One hundred percent. And I think compared to what yeah. I did at Metadata, I probably would spend I don't know maybe like five to ten percent of my time every week doing internal marketing things and it was a great first start and i think i learned a lot of what worked and more important than what didn't work and here at user evidence i'm probably spending at least a third of my week doing internal marketing and i would love to get that 
you know, maybe closer to 50% down the line because I'm showing the rest of the company things that aren't done, things that are coming, why they should be aware of this, how it helps them. And you kind of get people excited about just what's going on. And I think it's a luxury that we are marketing to marketers at the end of the day, given what user evidence does. But then when customer success is talking to customers, when sales is talking with prospects and buyers, they can share what marketing is doing and give those people ideas too. So it just, it makes too much sense. The reason that people or more people don't do it, I think as much as they should is because it takes time and relative to all the other things on a B2B marketing team's plate, it's usually one of the first things to get cut because you can't really measure it. It's like a gut feeling sort of thing, but I'm telling you it works and it worked at metadata and it is already working at user evidence. Isn't that funny how sometimes it's the thing that isn't immediately measurable that lifts everything up, you know, and everyone's so focused on. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Everyone's been there. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go on gut feel. And I think you can earn yourself those opportunities to say, hey, you got to trust me on this. I got a really good gut feeling by, you know, hitting the the numbers and the things that you can quantify and earning yourself that trust in companies. Because when you do that, then you give yourself a little bit more creative freedom, if you will, to make big bets that you can't always measure. That's important, man. Just building up that internal credit. I mean, to say, hey, trust me, you know, and knowing that, you know, typically they, you probably don't have that trust right off the bat, but you're not saying drop everything and go run off to the, the woods and do this. It's like, hey, it's a, it's a big, it's a big swing. It could be a big home run, but we got to make sure we're taking care of stuff at home. We get the numbers we need to get. Yep. Then we go out and, you know, put this big bed out there. A hundred percent. And I, I have that wisdom, AKA I, I learned the hard way because when I first tried to do this, I was more leaning towards the, Hey, uh, I read this somewhere or it worked for Dave Gerhardt or it worked at Gong, you know, trust me, this is going to work. And yeah, it, it does work at the end of the day, but you don't get people fully bought in on it until you build that, you know, reputation within your own company that you're capable of doing the, the things that you need to do to hit the number. And once you do that, then you open yourself up to more just possibilities. Yeah, and I could see that being a, a different sell too, saying that we should do this be, because, you know, Drift did this or because mm-hmm. someone did. It's a little different than, I mean, it's a, I'd almost rather that be like a supporting factor, not the main reason you did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd hope yeah. the main reason you did this is, like you said earlier, I, I earned your credit. I showed mm-hmm. you, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And yeah. I actually did what I said I was going to do. And let's keep building it like a real relationship, not just yes. like based 100%. on look what they did. You know, yeah. it, just, it just feels like a like a house of cards that could fall over any time. Totally. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I learned that the hard way. And, and thankfully, I'm, I'm going at it a different way. And it's definitely working just with building relationships with the rest of the go to market team here. What kind of parameters do you put on that? Do you just tell people to go crazy? If, if you want to shout from the rooftops, you know, shout from the rooftops stay on brand like how, how do you encourage mm-hmm. the sort of organic activation of your team without you know making them feel like they're they're shills yeah 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 that and that really is the million dollar question so here's how i go at it <laughs> there are there are three people or at least three types of people in my eyes maybe four when you think of this and mind you call it personal brand call it whatever you want people are uh, they can choose if they want to participate the, in this or not. It's yeah. their LinkedIn profile. Like, they own it. You can't police it. So 
there are people like myself who see it and are like, yes, I'm 100% all in. I'll do as much as you need me to. I'll write as much as you need me to. I'll do it all for you so you don't have to worry about it. That's probably the smallest group. There is the next group, which is, you know, yeah, this is really cool. I don't really know what to say, but, you know, if you give me things to say, I'm happy to kind of tweak it and post and, and publish and yada, yada, yada. That's slightly bigger. There is the probably largest group, which is, I don't have the time to do this. I know it's important. I don't feel comfortable writing. Can you write stuff for me? I'll write whatever you write for me and I'll publish it and call it a day. And then there's the fourth group, which is, I just don't want to do this. It's not interesting. I don't have time for it. It's just not something that I want to do. So I really cater to the second and third groups. And what I do is we have a channel here. It's because you fired the fourth, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I <laughs> uh, took the Thor hammer and then just mutilated them. No, I'm kidding. Smash uh, <laughs> uh, So what we have is a channel at User Evidence. It's called uh, LinkedIn Crew. And what we'll do is for new, let's say, events, pieces of content, you name it, I will share whatever has been published first. I will write a quick one to maybe three sentence max summary of you know what the actual thing is, whether that's content, event, ask, you name it. I will give them three bullets that shares what's in it for them. And then I will encourage people to go, you know, use this however they want in their own words. Now, what we've also done before at, at metadata is there is a uh, there's some functionality in LinkedIn where you can just pre-write and load posts into the company page so that when employees log in, they have that and they can just publish it. That works and it's helpful and I appreciate it. But when everybody is posting the same exact thing in you know, a very robotic tone from the company, marketers can see through that. They see what it is and it doesn't work nearly as well as when people put their own voice and personality into it. So the key is setting guardrails, trying to kind of cater to that lowest common denominator and then you know, thanking people more importantly after they've participated and, and getting some positive reinforcement at the end. For that third group, do you actually log into their accounts and post for them or is, is it uh, not that? <laughs> no, I, I kind of wish that I could at times, but uh, basically what I'll do is I'll just say, hey, we're announcing, you know, a certain thing at this time tomorrow. I'll do a, a Notion page that has the everything you should know about whatever we're doing and say, at some point tomorrow, can you log into LinkedIn? Here's a Loom video on how to get to the post, post it and go from there. You can't really you know, require people to do it, but I think the, the trick to all of this is making it as easy as possible and documenting everything for them step-by-step step so that you know, while they're in between meetings or while they remember that they needed to do something but forgot what it was, they can do it in a couple steps and it should take no more than a couple minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like that we're taking a little little stroll down this avenue and getting mm -hmm. a little practical about the kind of ways you do this because I feel like there's some missteps that companies do. Sometimes they're just these small little things, but they do it. They just totally screws it up, right? And so the, the next question I have, because I feel like I've seen this get screwed up too, is the type of thing you're suggesting they post because I, it's like, hey, you got people ready to go and then you give them this lame stuff or this stuff that is mm -hmm. so corporate and dry Yep. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to authentically be excited mm -hmm. about the fact that your website just got refreshed? Like, what am I yeah. supposed to do with this? So what yeah. kind of content works the best in this manner? Yeah, I think the key is how, let's see if I can articulate this well. When you're giving them the details and context around what to share and why, 
the key is to give them the bare minimum that you need for them to understand it so that they can then put it into their own words. If you give them, which I've done this before, super thorough documentation and, and copy on here's the here's every single point that you need to hit on and, and here's you know a 400 word post, all of this, then people are just like, okay, I'll copy and paste this, but then it's the same <laughs> thing from every single person. And LinkedIn is smart <laughs> enough to realize they throttle it down. So like give people some creative freedom, give them three quick points on here are the most important things that if you were to touch on, I'd want you to touch on these and then let them run wild with it and put it their own voice. And I think one other thing that I've done recently well, with our series A announcement at user evidence is I gave people a prompt in the documentation internally to answer in their post. And that prompt this time around was, you know, why are you so excited about this? And why are you so bullish on user evidence? And that way you're giving people a question to then answer in their own words instead of, hey, here's a pre-approved, you know, post for you to go publish on your own and you suck the, the creativity out of it. So people get excited to participate when they can actually put their own thought and words into it. And it actually performed much, much better than you know, any of the funding announcements that I've done at Metadata. That's so counterintuitive, right? Instead of having this perfectly designed message where people are just going to copy and paste and you just get a bunch of clones, you're the minimum amount of information so that they're on point, but maybe one or two points, you're not, not giving them a whole doc because they just use that. That's really interesting and I, I, I learned that by doing the the former ad metadata. I would the just opposite. be super, yeah, I did the opposite of that. And I realized in time, I was like, yeah, you know, this is kind of helping, but it also is not standing out. And uh, you learn by, or at least I do, and I know many people do, you learn by messing things up and learning from your mistakes. That's cool. That's really cool. Do you end up like get, giving out t-shirts for your LinkedIn crew or some kind of... We might have to now. I, I basically call them externally and internally my marketing interns. So they uh, <laughs> it seems to go pretty well. But I think, again, when they feel like they are a part of the, the marketing team and they're an extension of the marketing team, that's when you start to really do some great work. And the trick is through internal marketing and getting everyone to feel like they are a part of it because it's not just a marketing thing. It's really a company thing. Yeah, it it's a great it's a great method. It's a great ap approach. And it helps them out too, right? If you're if you're posting on LinkedIn interesting things, thoughtful, authentic things, you're showing thought leadership and it mm -hmm. helps you out your the rest of your career. You know, people will get used to seeing you sharing good stuff. Yeah. And I think that's something helps. that with a, a relatively junior team at User Evidence, I did a an AMA on just getting more out there on LinkedIn. I think it was three, four weeks ago. And you had a lot of people who were interested in doing it and just really were too nervous to get started, didn't know how to get started, thought that they didn't have interesting things to share and write about. And what I do, you know, in that training and even since that training, when people share stuff internally on Slack channels of, you know, they just had a call with some buyer and this is the insight that they got to and, and why, or they just got off a call with a customer and this is the use case that they were coaching them through. I will comment on Slack and just say, this is a great LinkedIn post. Like, go talk about your experiences. Give yourself credit that you're doing great work and that you have the things that people actually care about. And then the second part is, yes, it's a little daunting to write at first, but the only way that you get better and more comfortable is by writing more consistently. And I maybe will show this in one of the clips following this. In my presentation, I showed my first, like, 
probably six or seven posts when I started writing on LinkedIn years and years ago. They were the cringiest things that I'd ever seen. And I said, you know, hey, you have to start somewhere and then you get to, yeah. you know, some of the success and recognition that I had, which is great. But also that was never the end goal for any of this. It wasn't to get that recognition. It was just to kind of build in public and, you know, create awareness for myself and the company that I was working at at the time. And people here at User Evidence think of me as like, oh, wow, like this happens overnight. It was like, no, you have to start here. And people were laughing about it and it kind of disarmed the conversation and, and got people, you know, to realize that, hey, you got to start somewhere and it just takes work. Yeah, just a little bit of time each day. You know, I've talked to so many people who who turn into LinkedIn influencers types and, you know, on this show, and it wasn't magic. It was just, hey, I'm an hour every morning. And for mm -hmm. them, it was like an hour every afternoon and evening too. But they just were consistently, hey, I'm just going to spend a little time, just spend a little time and just consistently. Mm -hmm. And you can't sneak through that and try to, do three months into into one day. We don't need twenty four hours of you on LinkedIn. Go eat, <laughs> no. go eat a meal or something, right? We need, yes, we need consistent yes. you over time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, like uh, the other thing, and I'm kind of running through the presentation that I gave. I said, post when you feel like you have something to say. Start with commenting, and don't feel like you need to do either just for the sake of doing it. Like respond and and comment when you have something to say post when you have something that you actually think could be helpful. I get so tired of the people who post every single day with just generic chat GPT bullshit and stuff that yeah. you're just regurgitating from other people. It's That's what creates the LinkedIn echo chamber that there are certain weeks where I just have to get out of it and go step outside and get some fresh air and go for a walk and ignore it. But yeah, yeah. It's, you don't have to write just for the sake of writing. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good point. Those uh, folks I was chatting chatting about didn't become influencers by posting every day. They spent that time commenting on other people's content and engaging mm -hmm. with like giving their time and attention to other people and their content. So one day when they started posting or when they had something good to say, people mm -hmm. were listening because this person had already listened for for hours at a time. So yeah, yeah, it's not. Uh, but that's it's it made me feel good though hearing post when you feel like you have something to say don't try to force it definitely don't ask chat gpt to do it for you <laughs> oh i'm seeing yeah, more of that know. especially on comments and i just it makes my skin crawl i should have led with that as the the myth but <laughs> that's a great myth too right no and maybe we'll do another show on that one have you come back and the do and we'll, we'll smash you know the best and worst ways to use chat gpt uh, <laughs> apparently now there's a plug-in where you can come have have ChatGPT comment on people's content, right? So one day LinkedIn's just going to be full of GPT. I feel like we're already getting there. Posted. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Usually when I see that, instead of just uh, letting my blood pressure get higher and higher, I just hit X on Chrome and I get out and I go do something else <laughs> rather than Seriously. keep scrolling. Yeah. Seriously. Well, hey, you've mentioned AMAs a couple times. Can you talk? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've done them on LinkedIn. Yep. Talk to me about them. What are they? What Yep. How have you approached it? What's yeah. your take on it? So again, I mentioned this earlier, but I market to marketers and user evidence sells to marketers. So there is that yeah. caveat at the beginning. Now you can still do this at your own company. You just need to find the right people to host those AMAs with. So for us, we do AMAs, you know, Reddit, ask me anything, but really over uh, Zoom on big topics. And it's really like, enablement at the end of the day is, is what it comes down to. So 
to give you an example, our sales and, and sales development teams were kind of curious, you know, they hadn't really sold to marketers before. They wanted to know what does a B2B marketing work look like? So what we did was we had a long session, we recorded it. I had a presentation on here are the different functions on a typical B2B marketing org. Here's what the first Google image results page looks like for B2B marketing orgs. And I took screenshots and showed that all of these are different. There's no recipe for every single B2B marketing org needs to look like this, but right. here are some core functions that you can come to expect. Here are other names for those functions to look for and know that they're kind of similar. This is what they are gold on. This is what they care about. This is what some of the you know, things that keep them up at night are. It's kind of personas, but I like to make it more actionable and more of a two-way street when you're doing those sorts of things because I've created personas probably more than I'd like to admit before that probably were never used or even read by the sales team because I created it without them. I didn't have them play a part in the process and I didn't really train and teach them on it. So again, I go with the MVP of information that you need on those slides and then I make sure that it's a really a two-way conversation. So we do AMAs like that on different topics that can kind of help them in their roles probably about once a month. And for anyone who's listening who works at a company where you're selling into, you know, let's say you're a marketer trying to sell into, you know, someone who works in engineering or someone who works in cybersecurity. Uh, I tried to market to mechanical engineers before and turns out I wasn't very good at it because I didn't really know a whole lot about their world. But what I did do was I found the right people at my company who come from a mechanical engineer background and treated them as the expert and interviewed them and guided them with questions and really used your internal employees as ways to teach people you know, what they need to be aware of in their day to day and it really works wonders. But again, internal marketing for the win. Yeah. Do you, does that ever, I mean, I know you're a fellow podcast guy. Does that ever translate into podcasts? And what's your take on the podcast in the B2B world? I feel like that should be a, a series about that topic. Uh, so the two, right? parts to that, yeah, so two parts to that question. First part is. It's like I just asked Elon Musk how to build a rocket, right? Yeah. I'm like, hey, how do you build you're a rocket the in like the next yeah. five minutes, right? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> first thing that I thought of was whenever I would do those, like, um, the car races and like I was a Cub Scout for I think two years in elementary school. Pinewood Derby, man. Yeah, Pinewood Derby. That's what it was. My dad, of course, like made yeah. it and probably put a little too much weight in the back of it and I may or may not have one. But uh, Franklin School, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but no, I would say the first thing about uh, has this turned into a podcasting episode uh, or a podcast episode? No, I, I think it definitely should because more people are, are, are curious how to get this started. And then the second part, which is just the state of B2B podcasting. I think it's still very relevant if you have a good hook and premise for your show. I think much like any marketing tactic, the boom of podcasting that probably started a couple of years ago has been used and abused by B2B marketers. And I think if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it because others do it, much like having Same. a press release yep. in a PR agency, uh, you're looking at it the wrong way. So for us, we are gonna be launching a new show at User Evidence very, very soon here. And it would have been easy to just do the same exact thing that I did with Demand Gen U and had success with, but I'm revisiting everything that I know about doing a, a podcast or a media series and trying to think of a new hook and angle for this show that just stands out. So I think if you have a really solid hook or angle for your show, 
then yes, go all in on podcasting. It's the best way to help small marketing teams create, you know, a unique point of view, appear everywhere, create awareness, you name it. But if you're just going to start a podcast and do the typical, you know, format that most B2B podcasts do, then it's really hard to, you know, get traction and, and show impact. Yeah, yeah. Don't just copy me, y'all. Actually, copy me. That's totally cool. No, uh, and I was not talking about you because you were the only podcast that I've ever been on that had a myth smashed in the first 30 seconds with a Thor hammer. So you are onto something. It's the real hammer, too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the real one. And I was impressed that you held on to it so, so, so well. <laughs> yeah. So, man, podcasting is, is, is fascinating because you're right. It, just like every other thing, it could be that copycat and then. What, what do you now you're fluffy now you're eating cotton candy which is great but you're still hungry afterwards so you got to have an intent behind it what can you tell us about this thing do you do you have a hook already figured out or is it interview is it narrative like what kind of things are you cooking yeah i'll so the short answer is no no one's listening it's just you yet. and me right? <laughs> short answer is no uh we haven't figured it out yet but i will tell you the big thoughts that we are thinking through right now to get to the point cool. where we want to get to. So for Demand Gen U, we picked a, uh, a unique or fairly unique format in that it was primarily two co-hosts for the entirety of the show. And then we would go in on an, a single topic for each episode and go deep and go you know into the weeds and share what we've learned, what we're doing, kind of build in public, but yeah. really share as much detail as we could around a specific topic. And it was for demand gen marketers originally. I think what we did over the course of the show was we were creating content for more of a general audience, like unique content for a general audience uh, sure. versus creating uh, you know, a show for a unique audience with you know, slightly more general content. Uh, so what we are trying to do here is figure out who is, who is this for at the end of the day? Is it for like our, our core, core persona and only for that persona? Is it for multiple personas that can, you know, find these episodes helpful? How deep should we go? Should it be interview format? Should it not? How many people should we have from user evidence? Should it be, you know, uh, series based? Are we going to be publishing it, you know, weekly for the next however many weeks? And, uh, you know, trying to make it a blend like this is of education and entertainment at the end of the day. So there's a lot of different factors that we're, that we're working through right now. And then I think one of the coolest things is that Evan Huck, our CEO at User Evidence, really wants to be involved in this, which is such a luxury cool. to have when your That's CEO really wants cool. to, to get involved because then he is part of the show and he is helping build it with you and he's fully bought in on that. And that was something that we did not have the luxury of at Metadata. So again, try to do it differently, a little bit better, hopefully a lot better. And those are some of the things that we're thinking through right now, but we are actually have a call in an hour with our agency that we're going to be working on for the show. And then if all goes well, you'll probably start to see something from user evidence by, let's say, early 2024, if not sooner. That's sick. You know, it's it's always that question of like, do you go broad or do you go super narrow and targeted? I mean, I guess we always have that question, but even with podcasts, the temptation, you know, if you when you go narrow and your listeners are narrow, then you don't have those vanity metrics, you know? <laughs> so it, it's, that's tough when you're, when you're chatting and oh, how many people listen to every episode, you know, a couple hundred, but they're the exact yeah. 100 people that are this super narrow, 
cool, right? But it sounds way better to have thirty thousand people listening mm-hmm. yeah. to a show. So it's a that's a that's a tough yeah. one, man. Yeah. Yeah, Crazy. so we'll see. I'm kind of leaning a couple ways right now. We'll see if that's how the the show ends up getting, you know, launched. And then the the key, like we did with Demand Gen U, I forget the exact stat, so I'll probably butcher it like most things. There's some crazy stat for the number of podcasts that don't make it past, I think it's like the seventh episode. They just yeah. die. It's like, I want to say. Baiting. Yeah, it's like something like maybe 60 70 80 percent of podcasts like don't make it past the seventh episode so what we'll do is we'll bank like probably four or five episodes to get started launch it and then keep it going and then you probably might have the same learning that that i did at metadata there are times where everything is crazy and you don't have time to record the podcast and it's great that you've already banked up enough slack so that you can keep with your publishing cadence and then totally. sometimes there are lulls where, you know, you have a little bit more time and you create more slack again by recording more episodes. So I cannot recommend bank some episodes to start and always have some slack in your publishing schedule because it's really, really helpful and critical to just pick a schedule and stick to it. It's all about repetition and showing up consistently. Hell yeah, man. Next question, who are you? How do you know all these things? Take me back in time, little yeah. you days. Did you know you're going to be running marketing like crazy and thought leader and <laughs> podcast and all this stuff? Yeah. So the beauty is, and I was going to write a post about this on LinkedIn actually before, I don't know, maybe I'll do it today. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. The beauty is like, I, did, I didn't really know anything about this. Like I was curious and I, I read as much as I could on LinkedIn. I listened to as many of these podcasts as I could. I found people that I looked up to who were you know, a couple years ahead of me in my career and already doing these things. And I just kind of studied what they did. And I think many people will do that, but then they just do the, the same exact things that some of those, you know, others before them have done. And that's how B2B marketing just gets caught in this repetitive, you know, cookie cutter thing where you just keep doing things that already people uh, or people have already done. So for me, I took those things and wanted to put my own spin on it and have just always really remained curious and, uh, you know, I've been in B2B marketing for 12 years now. I've wanted to be in marketing. I was one of those nerds who knew that they always wanted to be in marketing. I never changed my college major. I was interested in marketing in, in high school and here I am in B2B marketing. I never thought I'd get excited about it, but it's just, you know, be curious and soak up as much as you can. And like the, the beauty of all of this is there's so much free stuff out there that you can learn from, whether it's podcasts, whether it's YouTube, yeah. whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's, you know, virtual events, you name it it's self-taught really by taking those things that you've heard from others and then just going to to try and implement it at your own company and learning from experience. So I think part one, curiosity, and then part two, taking action and just learning from trying to do a lot of this yourself. If you could go back in time and chat with yourself a little, little bit after graduating with that degree, fresh into the marketing world, what kind of advice would you tell yourself? Yeah, this is a great question. I think for me, it is try to learn as much as you can by by doing truthfully, because that's how you get the most experience. I think you're scared to make mistakes early. And I know that I was and, you know, I'm still getting more confident, but I, it's always something that like you don't want to screw up and you don't want to look bad. But I think the quicker that you can start to implement things and, and put the actual work in and, and mess things up and learn from it the faster you will move on to that next step uh, or stage in your career. 
everyone can talk the talk nowadays. Not nearly as many people can walk the walk. And the only way that you walk right. the walk is by getting hands-on experience. And I think for me, when I you know started at 22, I thought that my boss would get mad at me if I'd messed something up. But at the end of the day, they'd much rather have someone who's actually taking action and trying things than just sitting there on their hands and you know not really doing anything and waiting for their instruction. Like I'm never gonna tell somebody or get pissed at them, hey, I'm mad that you did this thing because you, you took action and you, you made a bet, it didn't work. Now, right. make sure that you're learning from the bet that you made and, and it didn't pay off and make sure that it doesn't happen again. But way too many times was I nervous about screwing things up and I think that would be the biggest piece of advice is just, don't worry about that. Take action and make sure that you're learning from your mistakes and, and not making the same yeah. mistake twice. Yeah, makes total sense, man. Uh, just got got to do it. Get out there. Not be afraid of getting yeah. things wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a test. Sick. Mark, where can people connect with you? You They want to reach out, get some love on LinkedIn or other places or use your experience. Well, where do they, where do they go? Yeah, uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn DMs are a little bit of a mess right now after the fundraising round that we just had. So I can't promise that I'll be able to get to everything in a timely manner, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. I'm in Exit 5, Daycare Hearts community every now and then. And then uh, you'll see me at different marketing events coming up here through the end of the year and definitely next year. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming on here, teaching me, having some fun telling some stories. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much and uh, I can't wait to use some of these things. Launch my first AMA. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having me on, Casey. This was fun. And I promise I do not say that on every podcast. I mean it. <laughs> You're like, all right, chick, bye. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Trust no, me, one, I, I, cool. I, do, I do podcasts sometimes where I do that and I'm just like, all right, we'll see you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, man. No, totally. You know, and for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here front and back, <laughs> and share this with someone else, right? Follow for leadership. sure. We talk about it LinkedIn. But pull what you learned, right? Pull what you learned. Tag myself, tag Mark. We'll start a little little content thread. We'll have a little fun. Yep. The comments, we'll post some gifts. You know, it'll be all good. So um, good stuff. Thanks again, Mark. This has been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. I loved it. All right. This has been a crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.